0: Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Business Black Belts. I'm Laura Hoover, along with Burhan Yaseen and with an amazing story, or at least one that I am very excited to listen and share with you all today. And that takes me directly into our wonderful guest, uh, Voran. Why don't you take us a little bit through about who you are, what you do, um, yeah, just everything. Like, let's, let's get a whole package.
1: All right, sounds good. Uh, hi, Laura. How are you? Uh, glad to be to be on your show. Um, yeah, my name is Borhan Yasin. I'm currently, the chief executive officer for an organization called Rainforest Connection. Uh, we're actually a nonprofit uh, environmental technology organization uh, we're about uh, currently about 40 people and growing pretty rapidly we've been uh, doing this for the last uh, six or seven years uh, focusing on protecting biodiversity and stopping um, illegal logging in uh, forests around the world that's that's our primary primary goal and you know, we get, we get the opportunity to work with some of the really most wonderful organizations in the world, including some of the largest corporations in the world um, as well. So really exciting kind of a, a, an opportunity that we all have to be able to engage with uh, people on the ground, but also really great minds as well with different, uh, different, different corporations and so on. Um, a little bit about myself. I uh, was born and raised in Lebanon uh, in the Middle East. Um, I, I went to high school. Uh, believe it or not, my, my my first two official languages were Arabic and French, not English. Um, I moved uh, to the United States when I was 18 years old, uh, right after high school. I, went, I moved to the Bay Area to San Francisco. I uh, did my studies there um, in uh, computer science or computer information systems um, in San Francisco State um, and really sort of, uh, I would say, did, uh, you know, uh, Web development or software development or or things that are related to my major. Probably only the first six months to a year, and I quickly gravitated towards leadership and uh, really had a had a had a thing for it. I was working throughout college. I was working full time, so it took me a little bit of time to finish college. Um, You know, went uh, did that in six years instead of you know your normal four years to be able to finish it. But I was working full time, kind of moving up the ladder. Um, worked for a lot of companies in the Bay Area, uh, lots of great startups, lots of great sort of mid-sized companies. I really gravitated towards the smaller, uh, mid-sized organizations, you know, somewhere in the range of a couple hundred to seven, 800 people. Uh, I, I felt like that that was an area where I could, uh, really my contributions could could show across the board. And I really liked that. I really liked to put my hands into a lot of different areas. Um, and in... Around 2014, uh, I moved to Dubai and I uh, co-founded a company in Dubai uh, with a friend of mine that worked. We worked together at a, at a at a previous company in the Bay Area, and we grew it quite a bit. We got to almost uh, 800 people. It was an e-commerce uh, fashion e-commerce company. Uh, don't know much about fashion, but you know that was that was the that was sort of the opportunity, the business opportunity there um, in Dubai, and we ended up getting acquired by a larger. Um, e-commerce company. And after that, sort of uh, decided that I'd like to do something uh, that I feel more passionate about. I felt a lot of passion about, you know, uh, 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 environmental work, trying to do something to stop climate change, um, using my skill set with technology and management and so on. And that's kind of how I came about uh, the work that I'm doing right now with
0: Rainforest Connection.
1: So that's just a quick uh, little bit about
0: myself, I guess. So, with Rainforest Connection, how did you d- dive a little bit deeper? But how, how you got connected? How did you find them? Um,
1: yeah. So yeah. Um, so r- right after my my stint in Dubai, right. So right after um, I uh, we got the company acquired, and actually the, the the new company that acquired us wanted to bring the executive team. Uh, you know, uh, bring them over. Uh, a couple of the execs decided to to do that. I didn't want to continue down that journey. I just felt like, you know, I was just spending majority of my time focused on increasing the valuation of a company and, you know, fundraising and all that stuff that comes along with any startups. Um, and at that point, you know, after 17 or 18 years doing the same thing, I felt like I really wanted something with uh, a really great cause attached to it. Uh, so I started, uh, tapping into my network. I think, uh, for anybody listening, you know, obviously building a great network is a, is a, is a unbelievably important thing. Um, you know, I quickly came to learn in, in the world of nonprofits, soliciting for funding, for example, is, uh, just not a possible thing. You really got to know people to be able to do, to do something like that. So, um, got connected uh at the time rainforest connection was probably was around three people very small organization and they had just gotten funding from a um a foundation that actually took a look at them and said look you got to bring somebody experience who has some management skills or has some really good capability of taking this organization forward uh the team that was there the the founder um and another co-founder they're really just a bunch of great um, engineers, really bright wonderful engineers but you know lacked the, the business skill set to be able to move the organization forward. so it was kind of a, a, a really wonderful coincidence where I was out there tapping onto my network they're out there looking and we got connected um, and it took me about I would say six months to sort of convince myself that that's the right thing to do because you know obviously I needed to make a lot of sacrifices. Uh, from a salary and uh, relocation and relocating my family and all that kind of good stuff. So that was, uh, you know, it took a while to chew on that, on that, uh, on that pill, I guess. Uh, But then, you know, um, after that, I made the decision and uh, it was honestly the greatest thing I've done um, in my career. So I'm really happy about that.
0: So as you were there pretty much from the beginning to growing this wonderful place that you are now what were some of the challenges because as like from my my point of view we are still in in that very beginning growing stages and I know a lot of our listeners are also in various stages of growth so how did you how did you move the company along and, and grow it especially for a nonprofit to the size that you are now and the impact that you actually are making
1: yeah yeah it's it's definitely a challenging thing, and it, it it was such a unique experience for me. I almost had to learn everything uh, from scratch again because I was very much used to. So, Marka VIP, the company that I uh, that that we 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 started in Dubai, um, you know, we were uh, very much we are a for-profit organization, very much focused on revenue, very much focused on growth, right? So, we optimized almost everything based on that, right? We optimized our uh, uh, the way we acquired our customers to so the way we sold uh, products, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so the formula for that was pretty straightforward. It's actually so- something that a lot, of, um, a lot of startups do today, right? They, they, they spend a lot of their time. If you look at a lot of founders today, um, they'll spend a lot of their time in the beginning creating the product. And once the product is created and, and it's gaining some traction, then they'll spend 80% of their time trying to fundraise. get uh, you know for that product and it's just this vicious cycle that people get into that uh, unfortunately it's a little bit um unavoidable but it is it is it is what it is um but the investors are buying into your growth potential right so a lot of investors don't care about how much money you're making right now or how much money you're losing and they care more about the growth and where your organization is going to be a year from now or two years from now or whatnot that's what they're buying into. And the world of nonprofit is very different. It's very emotional. Uh, People are they want to fall in love with your story to be able to give you money uh, uh, to grow. Uh, They don't really, you know, the whole formula of of growth and uh, your 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 capability of releasing a product it just doesn't exist. It's all about impact. It's all about uh, being able to uh, create a brand that that showcases that impact that you're doing. So for me, it was it was very much going back to the drawing board and sort of learning all these new new ways. And we did something really unique, which was I would say probably very seldomly done done in the nonprofit world, which is using. Uh, Corporations to be able to fund us. So, uh, looking at opportunities where we have something in in harmony and something in connection with corporations. So, for example, we'd approach um, Google and we'd look at an area where Google has a lot of interest, for example, in a technology that we're working on, uh, for example, AI. And that's something that also uh, advances our mission. So, we put together a package that says, okay, if we collaborate on this together, uh, Google, you know, you could uh, you could benefit greatly from this because this is going for a great cause. We can benefit from it because you could support us financially. You could support us uh, w- uh, from a technology perspective and so on. And it's kind of a win win for both of us. And that formula worked really well. And I think that was also that was a key for us to build the brand as as a um, as somebody who is very focused on using the latest technology for uh, essentially tech for good, uh, for the benefit of, of the world. Uh, so we, we gravitated towards that, we built, we built that. And I think for me, I quickly realized that I needed the right people around me to be able to nurture that, right? I think that's very important. Um, I had natural sales skills, uh, so to speak, even though I was more of an operations guy, Uh, But I had the natural sales skills that I was able to sort of uh, convince people, um, you know, to to fund us for a great cause and so on. Um, So that that helped out. But, you know, building the right people around you that you can coach them through that. You just essentially you're you're doubling up and tripling up your capabilities. Um, And I I'm really glad that we have a team that's able to also go out and have these conversations uh, with different organizations, with different foundations to be able to get us the funding. So that's the key to the success, uh, be able to get, to get funding. I mean, I mean, obviously everybody will probably say that very something very similar, uh, but once we sort of secured uh, funding that allows us to grow, then we, we invest it. And what I mean by that is we invested into the cause if you have a product, if you're not a nonprofit, invest into the product. Make the product a hundred times better. Um, invest into something that's tangible that yields results. Not, you know, we didn't go and invest in a, um, I don't know, a retreat that cost fifty thousand dollars or something like that. That that's not, that's not something that would, you know, that would bring uh, value or bring growth. Invest in something that is. Um, uh, you know that, that that will grow your organization and that's what we did for five years straight is continued investment and investment and investment to the point that um, we are where we are today right uh, so I think when i first joined the organization till now our revenue is probably around 10 or 12x where it was uh five years ago so um not not growing at the at the pace of a startup but from a nonprofit perspective nonprofit perspective I think it's 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 a decent one so yeah and that's what I'd probably say about that you
0: you touched on something that I find very interesting as well is you have the right people how, how do you how, how do you find the right people or how do you figure out that you have the team or continue to build the team and and, and the culture that is needed to su- support what you're trying to achieve
1: Yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing ever. Uh, I mean, like, I am constantly on the lookout for the right people. Um, I try to talk to everybody and anybody I can to discover that talent that I think will elevate my organization to the next level. It is the single talent, and people are the single most important thing to success of, an, of, a, of a company. Um, without the right talent uh, that you can drive and push in the right ways, then you know you're you're really you're really not doing any yourself any any good. So, um, I've been fortunate throughout my career to sort of get get people that were extremely bright but lacked the 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 experience. And throughout my career, I've cultivated these people to a point where they've served me. Quite a bit, they've served themselves a lot. And eventually, you know, they've moved on to bigger and better things. So that's a strategy that I usually use. I look for somebody who is super passionate, you know, willing to uh, work day and night to accomplish something, very driven, very intellectually sharp. And I believe that I could um, coach them to get them to a point where they could start contributing very positively and very quickly to the organization. And that's usually what I capitalize on. And the reason why I do that is because I don't have the money to be able to pay top dollar for somebody, right? So, you know, I can't pay big salaries and things like that. So that's not something that I I have the luxury to do, nor it's something that I would allow myself to do just purely based on mathematics and, and, you know, what the organization is bringing and spending and so on. So for me, my strategy is that that's what I do. Um, I find talent. I find really, really good talent that's that's raw, and I cultivate it. And it's a win-win situation for the both of us.
0: And as you have grown, and you've grown quite in the internet age, or at least everyone being online now, and for, for forcibly or willingly, how do you manage yeah. being online now? Like, almost fully, but also being literally across the world at all these different sites. Yeah. I mean, our
1: organization right now is fully remote. So, I mean, I have a physical office in Katy in Texas here, but it's, uh, it's really more like a storage where we assemble our product and send them out. So it's not really a a working office. So everybody is remote. Um, you know, it, it has its ups and downs. Like the, the idea of, of, so i would say being disconnected nowadays um is is great for an employer um it's probably not the best for the employee's mental health right
0: yeah
1: um it probably is something where you know um, nowadays when you're you know your glue your your phone is a essentially an extension of yourself nowadays right the phone is literally part of you it's like another limb you can't help but to get that notification of an email. You can't help but to but to to take a look at the Slack message that comes in and all of that. So um, that's tough. I think. I mean, it, you know, like I said, it's good for for an employer to have that super connected, but it's also tough for an employee, and it can probably bring exhaustion. So I try to limit that as much as I can, and try to do things that are that are um, that make the employees feel like they're part of part of the organization they really feel like a family I try to do that as a lot I also try to um, be very open with them and I think that one of the very important lessons that I've learned is when you when you're when you're open sometimes employees can't handle the stress that you would bring with that level of openness right so if I'm open enough where I'm telling them hey guys look this month wasn't really that great of a month and uh, you know we're Um, you know, we're we're losing some money today or whatever the case may be, right? Um, Sometimes people can't handle that well. Sometimes people would be really stressed out by that. But I think what I discovered is, you know, being honest is very important, but also showcasing to them that the leader of the organization has a solution. Like, yes, we are in this, but I feel confident that we can get over this because I will do the following, so and so and so. So I felt like a way to combat that is be able to to portray that confidence and act on that confidence uh, that kind of puts them at ease. So I think that, you know maybe I went on a tangent here, but the point is, um, I would I, you know what I'm trying to say is that it has it has its ups and downs. Um, it's a great thing in this digital age that we're super connected and we can talk to anybody and anyone. But it also, I think I think for people who have a, a group of remote employees, you know, to, to pay attention to some of these things that could be affecting employees negatively. Um, it is. And, and one of the things that I try to do, uh, what I did earlier this year, and I, you know, I have people in Thailand and Dubai, um, you know, I have people in, in, in Russia and Europe and all over the place. And I, I try to go visit everyone. So I really like, I went to Thailand and, you know, we went there and did a tree climbing expedition and spent some time together. And, you know, the the interesting thing about that is that the moment I got there, we, had, we have 11 people in Thailand. Most of our development team is in Thailand. The moment I got there, uh, we were sitting all in a room and everybody was on their laptop, super focused on the work. It almost felt like they're trying to show me how well they work. I'm like, I'm here not to see that. I'm not here to look at you working i'm here to connect with you so yeah. i'm like nobody works let's sit down and let's try to talk and learn about each other and those kind of things and 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 uh start to know each other more and that's when everybody opened up so i would say it's a tough one but there is i think you know the, the right leader will do the right things to 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 mitigate that mitigate some of these some of these drawbacks
0: so we were talking a little bit as well about some of these challenges that you faced, um, and some of the solutions that you came up with, was is there anything that comes to mind as something that you're extremely proud of? Because I feel like a lot of the solutions that you come up with are very creatively logical, um, mm-hmm. and it seems that there's just a, there's an open world to be creative in problem solving um, in almost every hurdle yeah. that that could come your way at least
1: yeah i mean i i spend a lot of time anticipating things i fantasize about anticipating things that's very important to me um sometimes maybe to a detriment but it's important to me to sort of almost predict what a move would do um so that 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 comes across a lot with Moves that I make in in certain areas when I'm changing strategy or I am trying to capitalize on an opportunity or whatnot. Being able to anticipate the moves that would that could potentially happen, so you can mitigate your risk to a certain extent. I think that's very important, and I think that that is part of a part of success. Like you come up with these, all all these ideas are logical. Like you know, we're living in a logical world. Like these things. You have to do something that, that makes sense, otherwise it's not gonna work. Uh, but, but adding a layer of anticipation, sort of sitting and thinking about, okay, if I make this move, there could be a couple of repercussions, there could be a couple of issues here, but this is what it's gonna do. Is it worth it, is it not? You know, Being able to spend, give it the right amount of time to truly calculate it almost like a chess move, um, I think that's very important. Um, I think it's really important for uh, make uh, making the right decisions, right? So you know, and sometimes you have to be you have to be quick on your feet and make a decision very quickly so you don't have enough time to do it. But as whenever you have the time, uh, try to anticipate the repercussions or the results of the move that you're making. I think it's very important.
0: Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. <laughs> in a nutshell.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: Uh, Definitely. So starting to wrap things up here, wh- where are your goals going? Like you're, you're CEO now, you ha- had a few months in this position. Where are things going for the remainder of this year? Directly, indirectly in the future?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So to me, like, you know, one would say a CEO is like the the top position, right, in an organization, uh, which is which is the case. But to me, I think what I would like to do is I would like to find a way that I can make my job irrelevant. That's that's my plan. I'd like to find find a way to no longer be needed in the organization, not because not because I don't want to do this job anymore, because I have a hundred other things that. I could do that would grow this organization even further. If I can relieve my duties, my day-to-day duties as a CEO, and I can entrust it in the collective team or in somebody that I grow in the team that I trust, I know for a fact that I can go do, you know, 50, 100 other things that are even more important than a CEO duties to grow this organization further. So for me, it's a constant challenge of making myself irrelevant. Um, I've done that throughout my career. And if, you're, if, you, feel that you're, if you feel threatened by that, then, there, then, then, then you are hindering your success. You should always, always, always try to figure out ways how you can make yourself irrelevant so you can elevate yourself to the next step. So what I'll be spending my time on for the next year to year and a half, which is something that's already in the works, is how to make myself irrelevant so I can focus on the bigger and better things
0: that is the most eloquent way to say that just just, that is is the the single best thing that i I have heard in a long while in in regards to that to make yourself irrelevant so you can further both yourself and the company Yeah. that truly (laughs) awesome well i want to thank you very much for coming on um i would love to continue to follow your journey and and you guys and and see where where y'all go is there any way linkedin website email that is best to get in contact with you unless someone else wants to come out partner with you ask more questions get involved some way
1: yeah i mean um you can reach out to me directly on linkedin um So, uh, you know, be happy to share the LinkedIn uh, uh, URL or go to our website, uh, rfcx.org or search just Rainforest Connection on, on Google and we'll come up, uh, learn a little bit about us. If you'd like to talk to me directly, uh, reach out on LinkedIn, be happy to talk to you. So.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Good luck on making yourself awesome. thank irrelevant. You.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks so much, Laura.
0: And I hope to have you it. guys on hopefully again sometime and, uh, kind of recap where you guys are. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of business black belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show marketing and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.